It's 2011, and I just graduated from the University of Houston. Go Cougs. I'm bright-eyed, I'm bushy-tailed, and I'm scared out of my mind. It's my first day at a large retail company as an HR manager, and since I'm uh, an executive team lead, there's a big orientation with all the other executive team leads in the region. At 20 years old, I'm easily one of the youngest managers in the company. I look around the room, and I see folks way older than me and seemingly much more comfortable in their own skin. I should be excited. I should be thankful. I should be happy. Instead, I only have one statement seared in my mind. First a whisper, then finally a firm, clear assertion. I don't belong here. This is Zach, and you're listening to Live Corporate. So today we're talking about imposter syndrome. A 2008 HBR article defines it as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Ade, can you relate to that? Absolutely. On our website, which y'all should check out, by the way, there is a quick little blurb blurb about the fact that I'm an aspiring software engineer. Um, I knew nothing about code before I started exploring it. Um, And I can't tell you the number of times I sat in the room and I was like, okay, I heard the words that came out of your mouth, and I'm pretty certain they were in English, but I could not tell you for the life of me what they meant together. Um, and I, there's just this repeated feeling of I'm I'm in the wrong room. You know, have you ever had that dream of um, everybody around you can see you naked and you're not aware until you look down and you realize, oh yes. crap, they're laughing yes. at me. Sure. Yeah, um, and so. It, just that repeated feeling of I'm in the wrong room and everybody can see it. And also in like my own regular, um, my actual, um, my current job, my current position, I'm always feeling like I'm always hesitant to answer questions, even though I know the answers to them, because I'm often either the youngest person in the room or the least experienced, et cetera. And I find that um, despite how confident I might be when it's just me and I know that I've done my homework and I know that I've done um, all the background necessary, I always find myself like second guessing myself for that one brief split second. Um, And sometimes that's just the difference between somebody else getting the position or somebody else um, getting the accolade for something that I already knew um, the answer to. Now that's so real. I know for me, like just speaking for myself, I know that there's been multiple times where I know that I've done the research. I know I've done the homework. I know that I've done everything that's called for me to do. And yet when I get in those those rooms or I have those moments, there's always like this sneaky thing where I'm like, I really don't like this is this whole thing is a sham. Right. Like where I feel as if like at any point, at any moment, like they're going to pull back the curtain, just kind of like in Wizard of Oz, like at the end, it was always a great and powerful eyes. And then you look behind the sheet and it's like just a regular dude. And I know for me, like that's a genuine feeling of mine. Right. Like it's like I I know that this is a, a relevant topic because. Even like on Fishbowl, which is like a, for those who don't know, listening in, Fishbowl is an anonymous posting app. Essentially, like think like um, like Twitter, but there's no usernames, no nothing. It's completely anonymous. And even when we look across, like even when you just look at Fishbowl, which I would say the, the predominant number of users are white folks, like um, they talk about this all the time. And like at least to all types of, it's the source of so many different types of stresses and frustrations for them. They'll talk about like, you know, man, I'm really depressed. I don't feel like I belong here. And, or, you know, I really just feel as if anyone's going to find me out. I really don't feel like I know what I'm doing and everyone else is an expert and so on and so forth. I mean, I've seen people who are like, 
engagement managers and partners and directors post things like that. Right. And so I don't feel like it's necessarily something that's so isolated to me or definitely to you, Ida. And I know you've done some research on this. You know, what insights can you share about how common or uncommon the feeling of being an imposter or just how common or uncommon imposter syndrome is? It's incredibly common. Um, So we found um, research that suggests that up to 70% of people um, in professional settings report um, having felt some sort of um, anxiety related to imposter syndrome. And I I know I've done personal, um, I've done research back in my graduate days um, on particularly students of color and um, their and feelings of self-efficacy in, um, in, in school settings. But I didn't really find any that, that spoke to the experiences of underrepresented groups in corporate America, which, you know, duh. Um, and I would venture to say that the percentages of those particular groups um, are higher for people who are already one of the few or you find yourself being the only black person the only black woman the only gay person or the all the onlys um in the room and i've always wondered what it must be like for people of color to climb any corporate ladder because the higher you go the less there are of us straight up no you're absolutely right i mean i definitely agree when you look at the data and i and i definitely reviewed the the research that you shared and thank you for that um I, it didn't break it down by the onlys in the room to the language that you use. It didn't break it down by, you know, how 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 present that feeling must be for the only black woman or the only uh, first immigration, first immig- uh, first generation immigrant or like how 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 much stronger those feelings must be. Because for me, when I think about imposter syndrome, I think about the fact that not only do I feel like this, but there's no one around who looks like me who I can actually have a conversation with either. So I feel like doubly alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Trust. I do. I mean, it would be great if we had a guest who could speak on their experiences. I mean, they would need to be like, I don't know, executive at a couple of fortune 50 companies. It'd also be the dope if they wrote an Amazon bestseller or we're a successful entrepreneur. Oh, you mean like our first guest of the pod for Norris Pearson? What? What? So, so listen, sound man, when you listen to this, this is where you got to put the Jamaican air horns. All right. All right. So next we're going to get into our interview with the first guest of our pod, Fanoris Pearson. Hey, y'all, we're back. And as Ade said, we have Fenoris Pearson on the show. Fenoris, welcome to Living Corporate's first official show. You're kicking us off, sir. How does it feel? Feels great. Feels great, man. Excited. I'm excited to be a part of this uh, this groundbreaking podcast show. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. So, and look, now you and I have a history. We've, we've worked together. You've been a mentor of mine for years. But for those who don't know you, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story about just, let's just start about how you got into corporate America. Absolutely. So um, I come from, I grew up in a family of 10, um, seven boys, three girls, um, uh, grew up in the projects. Uh, first one and the only one to uh, get a, um, uh, a good degree and uh, certainly a postgraduate degree 
um, and business and uh, organizational development. I always uh, inspired, uh, even though I was a pretty good athlete, I was a Division One scholarship athlete, student athlete, um, but a lot of success in basketball, always inspired uh, I was inspired to be a businessman. So I um, graduated uh, and uh, moved into uh, corporate America. I always believed in myself, but I know God has always provided favor for me throughout my life. So as I entered into corporate America, um, it was one of those things where I had goals. I had certain aspirations to get to certain things, but more important than anything, I wanted to not lose myself. Uh, um, as as who I am and who I was as an individual, uh, as I aspired and as I transitioned into bigger roles and bigger responsibilities throughout corporate. So um, I became, be, at the age of 38, the youngest senior uh, vice president, uh, African-American executive in, 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 in the country at that time. I was uh, working at Motorola. I um, I became the senior vice president of uh, organizational development in Motorola. Uh, had over uh, three hundred some employees uh, that worked for me around the world, um, and that was after. At that time, I was probably in my um, I was thirty eight, but I had probably been with Motorola for about six seven years. Ended up transitioning from Motorola to go and work for Dell, and um, I uh, worked for the number two man at Dell who reported into Michael Dell, the, the founder of, of Dell. And uh, that uh, was a huge experience as well, too. So before the age of 40, I was uh, part of two, uh, two Fortune 50 companies that were uh, that I was a senior uh, level executive and two of the biggest companies in the world before the age of 40. So getting there was, a, was an interesting um, uh, journey uh, to the point where it inspired me to write a book uh, the book was called How to Play the Game at the Top, and uh, that was inspired uh, 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 and by a conversation that I had with one of the most senior executives in the world. Uh, this guy was the founder and the visionary of a, of a phone called the Razor. Many of you out there may recall uh, this phone. It was the, the thin, sleek, they called it the Razor, and it was one of the iconic phones of his time. And I was part of the leadership team, the executive leadership team that developed and put that phone out in the market. So uh, am I hitting on what you want to talk about, Zach? Absolutely. This is this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to hear essentially how you how you got here. And so your, your story that you're sharing um, it answers that question. So absolutely. I'm, I'm curious. You're talking about these experiences and you're working for these individuals and working at extremely senior levels. Was there ever like one specific moment that you realized like, wow, wait a minute, I'm in rarefied air here. Like this is. This is a this is a this is a special position. Like, was there was there a specific moment? Yeah, there was two. There was two moments that I recall um, that uh, like, wow, okay. There were two distinct, different learnings from them. The first learning was about um, standing up uh, and sticking true to who you are from a from a from a particularly from a male and from a man perspective uh, and just about your character who you are and what you stand for and in the interface of people who have millions of dollars etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and uh, uh, part b of that story is there's a there's a uh, woman that um, that uh, that was that i had hired she was from kellogg um, um, she had, is a graduate from Kellogg's at Northwestern Kellogg School of Business Management, and uh, I brought her on board 
um, uh, as a director, um, but she was extremely qualified. And so, and but she happens to be a minority. She happens to be a female African American. And uh, her and I at one point were visiting. We were uh, taking on uh, a restructuring of uh, of a fourteen fifteen billion dollar business. And so my job was to uh, begin to do an org diagnostic and assessment of of the strengths, the weaknesses, uh, what's working, what's not working, typical diagnostic stuff. And um, this young woman uh, was part of the um, of the team that I would take in, and we would go and sit down and discuss with an executive. And one particular executive uh, really uh, was not feeling. Uh, the the time that we had set aside and that we had documented that this is when we're going to meet, this is the nature of this conversation, this is what we're going to be uh, trying to accomplish uh, with you during this time. So it was two of us, myself and this young uh, female who was extremely qualified and confident. And so uh, we get into the office and this man, um, uh, for whatever reason, is in a bad mood. And um, he is, uh, he apparently had just got back from Europe over in London, was tired, um, but um, he was very rude to us. And uh, he was extremely rude to me in front of this young African-American female. And the, the better, calmer nature of me decided to handle this individual in a professional way. Um, because the point, the decision that I had to make was, what's more important? Do I continue with trying to move forward with doing this to my job? Or do I sit here and let this young female who is um, uh, who I just hired uh, watch me uh, kowtow and belittle myself and lose sense of who I am as a man, forget my job, forget my responsibility but just uh, as a man, and, and have this young woman forever uh, look at me as a senior African American? Oh, so this is what you have to do in order to be an executive in corporate America. I made a decision at that time that at, at no point would I allow this woman's memory uh, uh, to be uh, as, as a man and as an executive that uh, uh, accepted uh, such disrespect from this uh, senior executive that was sitting across the table from me. So I said to him, and I said to her, I said, uh, I started off, I said, sir, if this is not a good time, um, shall we can we can come back and continue this um, this uh, this interview? And he's like, no, this is a good time. It's, you know, it's a good time. I said, well, it doesn't appear to be because uh, the, I'm feeling some tension here. And then so I asked this young woman. I said, you know what? Could you could you excuse us? Um, could you excuse us? Um, and I said her name, and and um, he said, no, she can stay here. I said, no, she's she's my direct report, and I'm I'm requesting that she excuse herself from this conversation. And so as she excused herself from this conversation, um, I I looked at him, I got up on the edge of my seat and I looked at him across the table and I said to him, I said, you and I both know, sir, if you and I were outside of this organization, there is no way you would approach me like this because you would be fearful, okay? I'm six, seven. Okay, tall, sexy. Okay, um, and he's about, <laughs> and he's about, he's about six feet. Okay, and so, so my whole point to him was that 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 you wouldn't dare approach me in this matter, and I'm I'm not going to let this young woman's memory be 
of, of me as a man and me as a senior executive that happens to be a man of color, um, someone that was just uh, allowed himself to be treated with such disrespect. Okay. So, so, so that moment, uh, Zach was a moment that, that changed my career. Uh, because at this, at this point, I was a I was a vice president of a business unit, but not uh, of the entire corporation. Okay, and so at this moment, um, uh, this man changed his attitude. Uh, you know, kind of backpedaled a little bit. I asked uh, the uh, young woman to come back in, and uh, we continued uh, the interview. Now, the second aspect that I talked to you about that changed when I realized I was in rarefied air. Uh, as an as an executive in, in corporate America, was when two days later this man calls me up, and I'm like, oh crap, okay, you know he's got to be on some 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 Caucasian man stuff, and he's gonna exert his power, he's gonna exert his authority, and you know what, I may get fired. Okay, all right, so cool, all right. So I I had made a decision, I, uh, at the time, I decided to address him. And I decided to ask this young woman to to leave the room uh, that I was willing to suffer any consequence for the sake of keeping my dignity. Um, uh, my mom used to always say, if you don't if you don't fall for something, you'll fall for anything. And I wasn't about to fall for having him berate me and more importantly, have this last impression of this young woman who's at the beginning of her career uh, thinking that she has to or or she has to be a certain way besides just being who she is in order to be successful in corporate America. Right, right. Little did I know that uh, when this call came, the call was totally the opposite of what I thought this call was. And so he asked me, he said, um, so first of all, his assistant um, called my assistant and the assistant uh, asked me, uh, you know, did I ask my assistant that I have time? Was uh, was I available? I said, yes, I picked up the phone. And um, he said, so... Interesting conversation, Fanaris. He didn't say Fanaris. That's my name, but he said Fanaris. I never forget. Fanaris. Yeah, yeah. It's like interesting, okay. interesting conversation with you, Fanaris. So, uh, so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to. I want you to go on a trip with me. Okay. And so I'm like, what do you mean go on a trip? Like, so uh, tomorrow uh, we had uh, Motorola. We had all these corporate jets. And so we had these uh, corporate jets that um, me as a kid growing up in, in, in the projects only dreamt about, okay? Um, and so being on a corporate jet, certainly I've been on commercial airplanes, but I've never been on my own private jet. And so so he uh, asked me to meet him uh, at our uh, hangar where we keep all our corporate jets at and, and uh, outside of Chicago. Uh, the motor rollers where the uh, corporate headquarters are at in Chicago. And so I met him there. And uh, I was leading to say is a lot transpired between the time of him asking me to meet him there and the conversation that we had on the phone. But I was um, I'm thinking when I get there, it's going to be a group of people um, that's going out to uh, we're going out to Sunnyvale, California. Uh, he was um, little did I know at the time that he called me, he had just got promoted to be uh, the president, the number two person and pretty much that's running uh, uh, Motorola. Uh, he had just got promoted, but at that time on the phone call, I didn't know it. So when I get there uh, at the uh, hangar, I'm thinking it's going to be a bunch of other people that's going to be on this jet. It's just, it, it turns out it's just him and I. And so we get, uh, I'm like, wow, what's going on? It's like, um, I'm like, you don't have right. to, you don't have to bring me to, um, 
you know, to the jet <laughs> to fire to fire me up in, you know, 40,000 feet up in air. So we right, drop a, your dumb tail from the right, sky. Right. So, <laughs> so so we get on the jet. And this is a true story. We get on the jet and um I'm at, he said, So you're so we're getting ready to take off. So you're, you know, on the jet is is everything, you know, all kind of food, all kinds of everything on it, you know. So I'm trying to be cool, act like I've been there before. But at, right, the, right. at the same time, I'm like, there's some thick lobster over there, some shrimp over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is nice. You know, I got my leather seats. I got plush leather, all kind of right, TVs right. on it, all kind of uh, communication equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So he says, so you'll probably wonder why it's just me and you. Um, and I'm like, Ab- absolutely. And so he says, so as we're taking off, Getting ready to head out to Sunnyvale, California, from uh, from uh, outside of Chicago. He said, "The reason why I put you on this, I got you on this plane, because what I want to share with you is something that um, most of us never talk to you guys about." So, two words: most of us, okay, meaning mostly Caucasian white men, uh, right? right? And you guys, I'm sure everybody that's probably listening could. Refer with, uh, you know, kind of uh, get the meaning uh, of you guys is meaning right. uh, us African-Americans or uh, people of color. Uh, right. Never really get a chance to um, understand how we operate. And so I got you on the plane uh, because it's going to be my word against your word. I have no idea how you may react to what I'm about to say to you. But um, what I want you to know is when I spoke with you. Uh, and I came at you the, um, at that um, at that meeting we had. It was all by design. I'm like, why? What do, what do you mean? Like, like I wanted to see, and I'm just kind of skipping through a lot of the things here. But it basically, it's, I wanted to see, right. I wanted to see how you would react. I wanted to see if you would stand up for yourself. Um, I see so many of you guys out there that are so uh, motivated to be. Um, to be uh, to get ahead, that you will allow anything uh, or any someone to do anything or say anything to you in order to get your stripes, okay? In order to get your where you feel like you belong, rightfully belong, and right. a, lot, a lot of you guys depend on succession planning. A lot of you guys depend on uh, uh, the affinity groups like the African American group or the Hispanic MBA group. That those groups are going to um, allow you all to be in a certain, um, uh, be a part of certain conversations. So I'm, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, I can't believe I'm, I'm hearing all this. So he's like, so, so the, what I wanted you to know is that it was a test and uh, little did you know that at that time I saw you got promoted to, uh, the president of this business unit. And this business unit happens to be the biggest business unit in Motorola. Motorola is probably about, at that time, it was about a 50, 60, 55, 60 billion dollar uh, business. So one of the biggest business units in the world. And all of a sudden, he's, just, he's the number two man in control. And so, um, so he said, what I wanted to do is to see if you would stand up for yourself. I wanted to see, because most of you guys that try and aspire into the next levels, you lose a sense of who you are and what you're all about. Um, and how did you get to that point? And um, some of you guys even change your voice. You even change your voice. Now, this is interesting coming from a from a white man. This yeah. white man is assessing and able to have been around enough black people to know. And if we're all real, we all know some people. And, 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 and just because, to them, just because we change our voice, 
means that we're we're trying to be like them. Now that's how they accept it. Some of us just may talk proper, all right, and and, right. and so there's right. nothing wrong with that. But I to you from his perspective, okay, and so his thought process was that even some of you guys try and change your uh, voice to be and to feel like you're you know we're you're more accepted with us. What and what what really inspired me to want you on my team was to know that you stood up to me. Because I'm trying to build a team with this new role that I just got. I don't want yes people around me. I don't want people to just tell me what they, what they, um, you know, what they think I want to hear in order to uh, because that doesn't do me any good. And so I'm also I've also been inspired in my life by uh, two African Americans. And it's like wow, this is really getting crazy. It's like so right, it's like, it's right. Like, I said so. What it means? It's like there were two, and we're now keep in mind we're thirty, forty thousand feet up in the air. We're on the plane talking about this. And okay. So he said there's 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 two African American men uh, because no, that came about. I asked him. I said so. Why me? Why 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 me? He said well, there were two African American men in my life that inspired me. Right. What most of my white counterparts don't know is that me too. I grew up poor. I grew up with a single mom. All right. Because of my white male see me, they see me, they see Wharton. They see, they, they see the Wharton school, uh, business school. They see, uh, you know, Harvard, they see all those degrees. Um, but what they don't understand is that, you know, I had a single mom that raised me. And then, so, um, I had two African-American men that, 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 um, uh, sowed some seeds into my life that inspired me to not do bad things. Cause my mom worked all the time and, um, and, um, I was out in the streets getting into trouble and these two, uh, African-American men owned a boxing gym, uh, out in New Jersey. And they, and they, um, they, you know, they, they just took me in and they gave me, they made me, you know, helped me become more disciplined. And I was so appreciative of that because if it wasn't for men, no telling what I would have done. Okay. Yeah, I was wow. smart. Yeah, I had, uh, uh, I kind of preferred uh, to him as Rain Man. If anyone ever seen the movie Rain Man, he was half genius and half crazy. So um, this man <laughs> was certainly fit to fit the bill. So, so that experience that he had always inspired him to want to do something and give something back to a minority because those two uh, those two men changed his life to the point where you know I thought it was BSing down the road. Uh, he even uh, donated money back in New Jersey to name uh, schools a school after this man after these men. Uh, so he put up wow. hundreds of thousands of dollars donated so this school could be named after these two men. So wow. So so as he's telling me, this is the reason why we're on the plane because as I said, it's it's my word against against your word and. This is stuff that we would never ever talk to you about how how we do things, how how things go down, how decisions get made. How there are meetings before meetings, okay? Uh, that that uh, that the meetings before the meetings proceed and take um, the decisions are made before we actually get into the meeting that we're supposed to be making the decisions. And you understand what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah you guys yeah. are never exposed to those things. Um, and um, what I want to know is, I want you know, I want you to know, I want you on my team. And what you need to understand that, that there are there are consequences for for that. There are there are good uh, consequences, and there are are, are consequences that, that just happen in, in 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 the life of corporate. So explain. So what he meant by that is that, for example, he talked to me about the difference between um, 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 uh, mentors and sponsors. 
He said, uh, what I'm offering you is not, uh, uh, to, not to be your mentor, but to be your sponsor. And then so your sponsor, your mentor, someone is going to provide coaching, provide guidance, help you prepare for an interview. Sponsor is someone that's going to say, that's my guy, that's my, that's my um, person for this job. And oh, by the way, um, uh, for example, give you an example, when, I, when, when he left Motorola and went to uh, Dell, typically you would go through an interview process where particularly people of color, you're going to meet, you're going to go two and three times. I interviewed one time and I interviewed with Michael Dell and wow. and I interviewed with no one else. And my salary, my sign-on bonus, I had a sign-on bonus of about $300,000 sign-on bonus. I, uh, wait, 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 wait. Everybody stop. Everybody. Say it again. You had a sign on for what? Of how much? I had a sign on bonus for about three hundred thousand, a little bit over three hundred thousand dollars. I had a golf membership at a country club out at the place that we built its home, built its home out in a place uh, outside of Texas. Uh, Dale headquarters is in Round Rock, Texas, and built a, a, a ten thousand square foot home out in uh, Lake Travis. I had um, I had everything. Okay, um, but. My point here is not on the material thing. My point is on the process of how they do stuff. And so, 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 and, and trying to help people understand the difference between the mentor and the sponsor. And so as the sponsor, um, you know, it's a seven figure salary, a total compensation package. Um, but the, because of the fact that he sponsored me, I only had to see one person. I didn't have to go through all of these interviews, all of these parading me, you know, come back here, come back for the next right. round of interviews. Right, right, right. That's right. the process that they typically take us through. But uh, how they do it, if they bring in someone in that they want, they don't have to go through that process. They don't have to go through. And if they do go through uh, several interviews, you can bet it's just, it's just, um, it's just a formality. They're just, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's something to make it look look like it's um, a competition for the job, but they've already made the decision. And so that's that's the difference between mentors and sponsors. And he wanted me to kind of understand that he was offering me something totally different from what I ever even thought about. I always thought the game, name of the game was mentorship. All right. And I always thought the name of the game was, um, you know, if I work you and I, and uh, you know, I outsmart you, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get promoted. That's not how the game, we could be the smartest, uh, we could we know we worked work harder, okay, because of we who we are and how us how we were raised, uh, but that still is not a deciding factor. And then so he talked to me about the difference between the electoral vote and the popular vote, and it's like I want you to understand that a lot of minorities spend their time on focusing on the popular vote, and the popular vote means. Uh, if you think about the election many, many years ago with Al Gore and, and President Bush at that time, first time the whole popular vote thing ever came into play is when Al Gore won the popular vote, but uh, he did not become the president of this country uh, due to electoral vote, which is a lot less votes than a popular vote. Okay, And so his whole point from a business perspective is that sometimes we get so concerned on trying to please and make everybody happy. But when you take a step back and look at your career, there's only one or two people that can really influence and impact your career to getting it to where you want to go. And that's what he called is the electoral vote. And he said, what I'm offering you 
Wow. It's an electoral vote, not a popular vote. That's powerful. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so the question that you asked early on was, uh, what were some of the events that 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 allowed me to know that I was in rarefied air? One, yeah, uh, no pun intended, being thirty, forty thousand feet up in a private jet, uh, private jet. I'm certainly up in rarefied air, but from a, from, a, from, a, from a meaningful <laughs> perspective, from a uh, from a experience perspective, hearing how he explained and what he shared, and he said that like the the reason why. I'm sharing this with you on this plane is because you can't record what I'm saying. You can't, if you don't, if you think this is racist or whatever, you can't go and call um, um, Jesse Jackson or, or um, Al Sharpton. Um, right. Because, right. <laughs> uh, no, he said these names for real. I'm being serious because um, that it's just my word against your words and against your word. And one of the things that you should understand is never, never dance between two big, two elephants. So what do you mean by that? Because if you dance between two elephants, two big elephants, you might get crushed. And what he was saying is, is that, you know, if you choose to, if you choose to make this a big deal, then it's going to be my word against your word. And I have my word. And as I have a whole corporate HR machine, but that's behind you, that's behind me. And you may, you may get your fact, you may get your story out, but at the same time, it's my word against your word. And I think we could understand how how that would end. So that the, the, those are two major events that changed my that made me really know that while I was in rarefied air, um, yeah, and uh, man, that's amazing. Two stories that uh, has changed and really guided the way that I lead and the way that I uh, even in my um, uh, uh, right now transition from corporate world to uh, entrepreneur world, where I'm the CEO of a company called um, Pursuit of Hope. We, um, this is a whole different, um, uh, background from, um, from the corporate world of being executive into an entrepreneur. And that's a whole different, um, uh, segment that you can do, uh, down the road transitioning from corporate to, to, to being an entrepreneur It's just huge differences there and, uh, success in one, um, uh, area doesn't necessarily equate to in another area is totally different thought process and uh, that's something that I'm more than willing to share uh, uh, about my experiences those are amazing stories and so I have I have like a like two more questions for you so you know that we're talking about uh, imposter syndrome today essentially that's just the feeling of inadequacy uh, or that you're somehow out of place in a space that everyone else from your perspective clearly is rightfully placed in so did you ever feel that way did you ever, did you ever feel like you had to battle imposter syndrome and if you did ever feel that way, how did you manage those anxieties and kind of keep that stuff at bay? So I think that's a great question. First of all, um, um, to to be totally candid with you, a, a lot that question goes back to how I was raised. I never felt like just because I was an African American man uh, that I was less than or better than anybody, um, because. Uh, my mom always raised me up to, um, my mom used to refer to me and my uh, older brother that grew up together as, uh, and, and it sounds corny, but uh, she, used to refer, she was calling me my, my Kennedy boys. Look at my Kennedy boys. <laughs> and so I'm like, my mom, my mom, my mom think of me like the Kennedy boys. And this is me at like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. My mom, because I knew who the Kennedy boys, we're talking about Robert, we're talking about John, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about some very successful people. So my mom said that in her own way to make us feel good about ourselves and to make us, you know, where our self-esteem about ourselves. 
and she always taught us that we wasn't, uh, 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 you know, we wasn't better or we wasn't worse than anyone. And so those, uh, that mindset uh, traveled with me in every aspect of my life and every aspect of the involvement uh, of my career. Now, the proof of that is when I got tested and I didn't know I was getting tested as I told you all about that story. Um, because uh, what he had observed was uh, a, a person who was true to him, to themselves um, and uh, a person who had a tremendous amount of influence in the organization that, um, and, I, and, and we talk about uh, uh, skill sets. Um, I didn't, at that time when this man talked to me with this young uh, African-American woman in his office, I didn't have, you know, the, the, the corporate uh, titles and the, the big corporate type for the entire, for the business unit I did, but not for the entire corporation. And um, what, what, what I, what, what I, what I learned that is that you don't always have to have the power or title, the title in the organization in order to have the biggest impact on the organization. Um, and so, 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 and people, you know, and, and he, and, and this person recognized that, but, but, but because of the fact that I uh, stayed true to who I am, who I was, um, um, and that I, I didn't compromise. And if I can give the people who are, are uh, aspiring and trying to, um, you know, and they're in, the, um, in a, in, in a corporate position, they're struggling. They don't know why they're not promoting uh, shameless plug here. My, my book, how to play the game at the top. Uh, is a book that's out on Amazon where 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 people can go and read more and, and pretty much you're going to hear the same uh, stuff but in a lot more detail uh, about um, what I'm talking to talking to you guys about your career and how to progress and progress progressing in your career that to be true to yourself never ever compromise who you are just for uh, money or just for to get a title or just to fit in, um, because it, it it may pay off for you short term, but the thing that I can do and look back at corporate, my experience in corporate, and say that I'm very very pleased with uh, the the decisions that I made and why I made them, because there's nothing worse than feeling like you gain something at the expense of losing something. Hmm. Hmm. Man, that's amazing. And no, uh, not this is this is really powerful for Norris. I really appreciate this, man. Um, I was I was gonna ask you if you had any plugs, but you are you plugged your book, the Amazon bestseller, How to Play the Game at the Top. And I wanted to reinforce that because as you know, I read it some years ago. Great read. So um guys, we will have the things that we referenced in this conversation on during this podcast. We will have all those things, so make sure you actually look at our descriptions. You will see a link for how to play the game at the top in the description, so you can go ahead and check that out as well. Man, for Norris, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you guys for uh, being able to uh, allow me to be a part of this, uh, what I really believe is a groundbreaking um, uh, show. More importantly, it's, it's just it's just thankful to you guys uh, to want to put together a podcast like this here. It's, uh, you guys could be doing a lot of other other things besides trying to educate and aware people, make people aware of the challenges and opportunities as they grow in and stride in their career. And so I thank God for you guys having a vision to put together a program like this. Man, thank you for Norris. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll have Ade back in the studio 
We'll talk about this discussion and then we'll continue on with the show. Yo, that was a dope interview. Yeah, I liked it. Norris is a really good guy. Yeah, and when I listened to the story, at first I thought to myself, like, wow, this is a really, really unique story, like a great journey. Yet at the same time, so much of it resonated with my own experiences, like even now in the earlier stages of my career, you know? Absolutely. Um, I was glad he was able to make the show. Really, really interesting stories. Um, and I hope he comes back. It was great. For sure. Um, okay, so now let's get into um, our next segment, which, you know, I kind of enjoy. It's called Favorite Things. It's where we talk about um, what our favorite things are these days. We, you know, big up yourself a bit. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. I'll start first. You didn't invite me to start, but I will start. I mean, mm. the floor is yours. Uh, thank you. Okay, so, uh, yes. So, my favorite thing right now has to be mumbo sauce. Hey. Yes, no, listen. So, for those who don't know, for all of my Southern gentlemen and uh and women in the audience listening in listen mumbo sauce is like this sweet spicy sauce that originates out of uh, the dmv and i yes so taraji (laughs) p henson um our favorite cousin our favorite big cousin favorite auntie she was on first we feast which was hot ones hosted by sean evans shout out sean evans hot ones all y'all anyway she's on the show and one of the first wings she eats is covered in this stuff called mumbo sauce. And so I'm, I'm, ta- I'm tasting, I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding. First of all, I did not taste the mumbo sauce. First of all, I heard about the mumbo sauce on the show. Let's be clear. Then I was like, eh, maybe, I don't really know, whatever, whatever, cool. So then, you know, because the feds are always watching, I get on Facebook and I see a mumbo sauce ad. And I'm like, what is going on with this mumbo sauce ad? <laughs> and the mumbo sauce ad was literally, it said, list. it literally said this, it said, Taraji P. Henson endorses mumbo sauce on hot ones with sean evans you like taraji p henson you should buy mumbo sauce i was like golly i mean i was kind of creeped out that it was so on point and that it clearly it was watching my activities but at the same time i was like well dang i mean you you are right i i did like taraji p henson in that interview and i I am a taraji p henson fan and i do like sauce let me buy some so i bought three bottles of this mumbo sauce wow i know right and i'm on my last bottle but listen judging you don't judge me. You know what? You can judge me. That's fine. Uh, it's, it's delicious. I actually will put up with the scrutiny. It's great. I put it on everything. Anyway, so I got a two for one. So my other favorite thing right now is this upcoming Captain America comic because I love comic books. And so uh, there's a new run starting with Captain America and it's been written by the Don, Ta-Nehisi Coates. So those are like my favorite things right now. What's up with you about it? So first of all, it's Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, I just I just wanted to hit you with the well actually one time. Wow. Golly, um, I'm embarrassed. I can't let you be out here just like mangling his name, you know? That's true though, because he is a hero of mine. I don't even know how to say his name. That's a great point. I, I would also... I have my gripes with him. but I, Do you really? Okay, I we'll do. talk about that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Um... That's random, by the way. I want you to know that that's like the weirdest. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm rocking with mumbo sauce for the week. <laughs> um, so, my two favorite things this week, and I don't know why we're sticking to two, um, but it's probably for the best because I'm indecisive. So Right. So, currently, actually, literally, you know how when you're on the internet and they're like, what's to the left of you and what's to the right of you? Yeah. To the left of me um, is this book. I don't know if you can hear it. It's called uh, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. Um, And as a 
voracious reader as a longtime lover of the written word, um, I can tell you right now that she can have all of my coins. Like, she can literally have all of them. Every last bit. Um, you know why? Because this woman can write her booty off, okay? Um, are we allowed to even say booty? <laughs> <laughs> This is a clean show. Keep it going. Go clean, ahead. Clean show. My mom might hear this. All right. Um, but yeah, like if you are looking for a new literary suggestion, if you need a new book, um, if you are a consultant and you're traveling four days out the week and you need a book to take on the plane with you, um, it might really only last you, depending on how fast you read, two trips. Um, but it's absolutely worth it. Um, and I think my second favorite thing is I've been sick this week. Um, and anyone who knows me actually knows that I have a deep and abiding love of pho. But it's it's just like skyrocketed to the top of my absolute favorite things this week because my word. Okay. <laughs> it's good though. Pho is good. It is so good. And I was down for the count, but you know, pho and lemon ginger tea really held me down. So those have to be my favorite things for the week. That's really dope. Now, do you have any shout outs? Yes. Um, so shout out to us, first of all, because I feel like we're dope. Um, hey. We put an amazing thing together. And even if, you know, this is just us talking to ourselves, this is still like one of the dopest projects I've been on. Yo, we put this whole thing together in less than a month. Bask in how amazing that is. No, no, no. Like, no, I'm, I feel the exact same way. That was going to be my shout out too. Like, shout out to us. Like, <laughs> straight up. Like, this is great. Shout out to the team. Shout out to the team. Shout out to Ola. Of course, you, Ade, myself. A parent. Uh, Patricia. And parent. Like, we got a team of five and like, they're all going to be on the show. They're all going to be, uh, they're all leading and participating and like heavily involved because it takes a lot to get this machine up and going. And so, yeah, no, absolutely. I vote um, we get snapbacks actually because I I realize that I have like a serious dearth of snapbacks in my life. So like let's that's let's, what's up. Let's get some snapbacks. You know what, man? Let's man, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> we need, we we should like yes, we need to get yes, we need to get some living corporate snapback merches. Yes, Bet. let's do that for sure. Bet. All right, y'all. Well, uh, thank y'all for joining the show. One more shout out. One more shout out. One more shout out. Um, Go ahead. I have a new nephew in my life. Um, his name is Halim, and oh. he is the absolute like brightest star in the night sky right now. And I'm just so proud oh and so God. happy to have him. Sorry, proud, oh, man, proud auntie awesome. moment. <laughs> no, no, that's dope. That's dope. You know what? In fact, let me go ahead and shout out my nieces and nephews one hey. time. Hey, we can go ahead and put them on. Uh, shout out to my my nephew Aaron, hey. and then shout out to my niece Elena. And uh, they are absolutely wonderful. So, uh, yes, that will actually be the hashtag for this show. Uh, Auntie Uncle Swag. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I feel like that's the right, thing we said <laughs> Thank y'all for joining Live in Corporate. This has been Zach. This has been our day. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin from Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.